It's going to be good today. Hey guys, my name is Clayton. I'm so glad that you guys are here with us to worship. Um, I'm the pastor here at Central. It's a good day uh, to be in God's house. If you want to follow along with today's message, take your phone out, your iPad out, and you can scan this QR code. It's up on the screen. You can follow along with today's message. It's going to be great, man. I, I, okay, I get it. I am wearing OU stuff, and I am not from Oklahoma. But hey, all right, so... so <laughs> So yesterday, when OU won, I said, you know what, I'm going to wear that shirt. And uh, then my Aggies won. I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and still wear this shirt today. But man, there's no one in the country more excited than I am because I live in Oklahoma now, and Oklahoma won, but I'm also an A&M fan. I went to A&M. And so, man, it's just like best of both worlds. It's a good day um, for me today. So let's just pray and we'll get out of here. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, man, uh, I, I'm, I'm pumped about what God has in store for us today because we're in this series called Dumb Things That Christians Say. And really, there are some things that, that we say sometimes that are, that are kind of dumb. And one, one of the things we say, and we talked about it last week, was the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. We say that to people sometimes. Hey, man, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. And the truth is, he will. He will give you more than you can handle. But he'll never give you more than what he can handle. He can handle it. And he allows us to go through things for several reasons. And one of them is so that we will trust in him. That we, at the end of our day, at the end of our rope, we will trust in God above all else. He allows us to go through those things so that we will turn to him. And I think we learned last week just how important our words are and how important the things that we say are. Like, if you go to another uh, state, sometimes you'll hear some things that people might say that maybe sound a little weird and sound a little off. Like, if you go to Arizona, you might hear... People in Arizona say things like, let's go see the big ditch. I was really careful with my words there. The big ditch. Like, what are they talking? They're talking about the Grand Canyon, okay? So if you go to Arizona, they might say that. You'd be like, what in the world are they talking about? If you go to Georgia, someone might say, how's your mom and them? You're like, my what? Your mom and them. Like, your mom and them. They're asking, how is your family? And so they'll say that to you. You go to Maryland, and they'll say, hey, I caught some fine Jimmy's and Sally's today. And you're like, what in the world is that? They're talking about blue crab. That's what they, they don't call it blue crab. They call it Jimmy's and Sally's. If you go to Montana, someone might say, hey, you want to go uh, hooky bobbing? You want to go hooky bobbing? Like, I don't know. Okay, but I'm all in. Let's go. Like, what's hooky bobbing? Hooky bobbing is just putting a rope to the back of a truck and going sledding in the middle of winter, right? You're at, I mean, just, that's what hooky bobbing is. Man, if you go to some other places, like New Hampshire, they may say, have you ever, fr- ever uh, fried hornpout? Have you ever tried fried hornpout? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody ever tried catfish? Fried catfish? That's what it is. They call it hornpout. Just think about it. A catfish, it's got horns and looks like it's pouting, okay? That's just what they call it. They call it catfish horn pout, okay? So you, you wouldn't know that. But if you go to Washington, someone might say, you know what? We're going to get 
some liquid sunshine today. They're just talking about rain. That's what they call rain in Washington. It's also the name for LSD, so you got to be really careful um, when, you're, when you're talking um, about liquid sunshine. But hey, even in Oklahoma, people look at Oklahoma and they say, they say that we say things like, jeet, 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 did you eat? Okay, we just kind of combine, did you eat, and did jeet, jeet yet, right? We just ask that. And so people from outside look at us and they think, man, we're kind of, the Oklahomans are kind of weird, and they just kind of put those things together. Well, sometimes we say dumb things. Sometimes we say things that may be confusing um, to people. And, and the reality is, is that as Christians, we do the same thing. Sometimes we say some dumb things. Like, last, or last year, I was at a football game, the Owasso football game. They were killing them, so I just kind of got out of the stands, and I went over to the side up against the fence, and I, the, the little low fence, and I'm just kind of sitting there and just hanging out and right, right by the, the field and just watching from up close. And there were these two teenagers from behind, behind me. And these two teenagers were, they were, they were just talking to each other, and I'm watching the game, and, man, they started just talking like it was normal to them. But it was so foul. Like the things that they were saying, I can't even repeat. I feel bad just thinking about what they're saying up here. And they were, they were just saying this stuff, and like every other word was a cuss word. It was just so normal to them. And to me, it just, man, it got under my skin. And I wanted to say something that's kind of dumb. And I wanted to say something that we kind of say um, a lot that might sound foreign to someone who isn't a Christian, and it's this. God says you shouldn't do that. You ever said that to a non-Christian? God says you shouldn't do that. Or, in other, word, in other words, the Bible says that's wrong. God says that is wrong. Sometimes we say that. Now, I, I get it. I mean, you might be thinking, Clayton, literally the Bible says that that is wrong. And I get it. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's true. It's true that those things are, are against God's law. And it's true those things that God, God doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want the, the world to sin. But I wonder... In the middle of our good intentions of trying to correct someone, if we're actually harming them, in the middle of trying to correct them, that maybe we're quenching the Holy Spirit's work in their life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit or quench or hold back. Or, or smother or extinguish. That, that word stifle can mean all of those different things. It's like if you, if you have a candle and have anybody ever licked their fingers like this and just went all in and just grabbed the, the wick of the candle while it's burning and to, to put it out? Anybody ever done that? I mean, if you haven't done that, go home today and do it. But you gotta, you gotta be all in. You can't just kind of hover over the flame. It'll hurt really bad, okay? You just gotta go all in. It, it'll, it'll extinguish immediately. Or if you put a lid on a candle, what happens? The oxygen gets sucked out of, out of that area, and the candle flame just goes down, 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 and goes away. And I wonder if in the middle of our good intentions, if we do the same thing. Because I wonder if God's been working in people's hearts for a long time, for years. People that are far away from the Lord. And they, God's, been, God's been chipping away at the, the callousness of their hearts and, and the things that they're doing. He is trying to woo them to himself, which the Bible says that he does. And he's been working and working, and it's this long process, and all of a sudden we jump in the middle of it and say, you're wrong. You shouldn't do that. What are we doing? 
We're judging them, aren't we? All we're doing is judging them. And I get it. It's all with good intentions. It comes from the right places. And one of the right places is that they understand that God is sovereign. He's not just sovereign over Christians, but he's sovereign over non-Christians in the rest of the world. Look what Psalm 103 verse 9 says. It says, the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. I mean, doesn't, not, not saying he just rules over the church and doesn't just rule over Christians who give their lives to Jesus. He's saying he rules over everything. And so we look at that and say God is in control and over everything. And so we take that and sometimes and we say things that we shouldn't say. We say things like, you know what? You're wrong. God says you shouldn't do that. But my question is, is what do they actually hear? What do they actually hear? How does that come across to them? Do they hear your words and say, think, well, okay, I, that's pretty loving and tenderhearted and kind. And, man, it's coming from a Christian attitude of humility. Do they, is that how they see it? Or do they see it as you being pushy and judgmental, kind of rude, arrogant? Because the reality is we're pretty bad at communicating to people who aren't like us. We're pretty bad at communicating to people who are, who are non-Christians. Barna is a Christian research uh, organization. They put out some, some statistics. And one of the things they found out about Christians is that in our culture today, most Christians don't really have a good number of meaningful relationships with people who are non-Christians. We, we, have a, we don't have very many relationships, and so in the middle of not having very many relationships, it's also, we also have, we have a hard time communicating well to them. We don't, we don't speak the same kind of language. And there's this disconnect that we have. And the research goes on to, to show that millennial Christians, which are like people my age, 1980 and, and younger, that on average, we have about four close relationships, whether it's a friend or a family member that is far from God, a non-Christian or a, a, a de-churched Christian, that we have about four close relationships. But boomers, people that are, that are older than, than my generation, it's even worse. The most, most boomers and older only have about one close relationship with someone who is, who is not, um, not a Christian. And so there's this huge disconnect. And sharing the gospel has gotten really hard. It's gotten difficult because there's just these two different ways of doing life and two different ways of speaking to each other. And it's just, we find ourselves in a difficult situation. There's also some other research that I'll put up on the screen. Barna came out with this, these statistics. It might be kind of hard to see, but man, the, the top left, there's, there's a, a big one that says 62% and 34%. What those represent are the number of non-Christians or so people that, that are far from Christ or those who are, who are de-churched. So a de-churched person is someone that, hey, they used to come to church, but you know what? They came into the church and they were judged. They came into the church and they were told that they were, what they were doing is wrong. And they tried to, people tried to conform them to, to the way of doing things and say, that, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing that. And so they're, they're, they're de-churched. And so you have a whole group of people like that, a whole society that's like that. And 62% of, of non-Christians and, and un-Christian people, like people that have been de-churched, those people, they're, they're willing to have faith conversations with people. They're not against having faith conversations and talking about spiritual things. Our society is still very spiritual. 
But that 34% number is how many of those people actually want to talk to Christians about it. What it's saying is that majority of, of unchristian people want to have spiritual conversations, they just don't want to talk to Christians because they're, they feel like they're going to be judged. And they feel like they're going to be told what to do. You know what, the Apostle Paul, he found himself in the exact same situation. And he understood what it was like to be a Christian in an unchristian culture and how they, should, they respond to, to Christians. When he was in the ancient city of Corinth, um, this is kind of a crazy city. There was all this, these different cultures that collided. You had um, cultures from all walks of life coming together and all different religions coming together. And Paul found himself in the middle of that, and there was this small little church that, that had started. And, and we believe that there was a letter that Paul actually wrote before First and Second Corinthians. And he wrote this letter to, to uh, these, it was an uninspired letter, okay? So it's just a friendly letter that he wrote to them to talk to them about how to engage with Christians, and then, or non-Christians. And he wrote again in First Corinthians chapter 5 and said this. Look, look what it says. He said this. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What he was saying is, hey, remember the last time when I wrote to you and I said, hey, make sure you, you uh, don't, don't associate with people who are sinful. But what he says is, I wasn't talking about non-Christians. I wasn't saying about getting out of society. He said, you know, if you, if you were to try to do that, you'd have to, you'd have to close yourself off. He's not saying that. Here's what he said in verse 11. He said, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. He says, I wasn't talking about you not hanging out with unbelievers. I was talking about you hanging out with believers who are in the middle of all of that. He said this, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from within you. What he was kind of saying is that it's not your place to judge people outside the church, so stay in your lane. As Christians, we need to stay in our lane. You may have driven one of those cars, those like new fancy cars that have like that lane assist. And so you can kind of take your hand off the steering wheel and if you, when you drift over into the lane, it, it recognizes the, the stripes and just kind of corrects you back. It's awesome. Okay, I drove one of those the other day. It's really cool. You need to get you one of those. They're very expensive, but uh, just borrow from somebody, okay? They're awesome cars. Like where, where, where the, the, where it's, it's, it's helping you to stay in your lane, right? It's helping you stay in your lane. And as Christians, that's what we should be doing. And even Jesus talks about it. On the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about us staying in our lane. In Matthew chapter 7, here's what he says. He says, do not judge others. Don't judge others, and you will not be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Man, we've heard that one before, haven't we? Jesus says, stay in your lane. Don't judge other people. God will judge. But the reality is, is we're pretty quick to judge people. And we hold them to this, this standard that is good and just and holy and moral and biblical and pleases God. Because there is a standard. The standard is, is God's word. And we read it and we try to apply it to the, the all of culture. Like Philippians chapter 2. Look what the Bible says. 
Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says this. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. And then the Bible says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That sounds awesome. And the Bible says, hey, go and do that. But the reality is the Bible's talking to us. It's not talking to the world. The Bible's not talking to unbelievers here. The Bible is talking to believers and believers only here. You're supposed to live this way. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be a shining light. I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking just to believers. That's what the Bible says. Like I said earlier, I went to Texas A&M. And while I was there, there's 69,000 students at A&M. It's just ginormous, okay? But there's a couple thousand Corps of Cadet students. And these, these cadets have signed up to be um, in a kind of a, a military aspect of, of Texas A&M. And so they, they dress the part. They have a uniform on. They wear those every day. They're super polite. They have all these rules and this code to follow. And so they go to class, and you, you walk into class, and classes are giant. I mean, I was in a class of 600 people once at a and It was just massive, okay? And so there's maybe about a, a dozen Corps Cadet students in the middle of that, and they're, they're dressed different. They look different. They act different. And they have to do some things uh, that, that, are, that are different than, than you and I would if we were just a normal student at Texas A&M. So if you're, they're walking down the sidewalk, they have to cup their hands, they have to walk a certain way, they can't wear backpacks, um, a lot of military-type stuff, you know, saluting the flag and, and those kind of things. It's just a different way of doing things. But it'd be weird if they looked at all the other students and said, you need to do that. Who do you think you are not walking? Who do you think you are wearing a backpack? Who do you think you are not wearing that uniform? Aren't you supposed to do that? Like, it would be weird, wouldn't it? If you were just a normal student, you'd say, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> I just, I'm just trying to graduate here. I'm just trying to go through school. I, I didn't sign up for all the things that, that you signed up for. And in the same way, we shouldn't scold people for not following a code they never signed up for. You know? We shouldn't scold people for not following a code they never agreed to follow. We gotta realize that God has not made us the judge and jury of the world. That's him. He's not called us to be that way. And here's another sad reality and a sad truth. The world couldn't care less about our rules. They don't care what the Bible says. So you saying that doesn't mean anything to them. Because having a relationship with Jesus is voluntary, isn't it? It's voluntary. We don't have to, we're not, we're not required to when we're born, when God created us. We're not required to do that. That's, that's, that's what God gives us, free will. And we, but yet we sometimes think that everybody should live a certain way. But it's, it's voluntary. And if it's voluntary, someone who hasn't followed Jesus has no reason to follow the commands of Jesus. That's a hard thing to think about. But our culture has shifted, it has changed, and yet we try to project our Christian values on a culture that does not know Jesus, and they do not know the Bible. So the question is, is there a better way to talk to non-believers? Is there a better way? One of the best examples I can find is in, is in the Bible, where Paul, again, is, found himself in a non-Christian culture. And in the book of Acts, Chapter 17, he finds himself in Athens. And Athens was, man, crazy, crazy unchristian. They had, they had 
idols everywhere and temples everywhere. And Paul is walking through the middle of this. And there, the story goes that, that Paul is, he, he recognizes something unique about these people. And he gathers them together, some of the leaders, and he says some things to them. Like in verse 22, he says, he's standing before this council and he says, men of Athens, I notice that, that you're really religious. The man, you, you're very religious. And guess what? I'm, I'm pretty religious too. And as I was walking along, I saw that you have all these different shrines and, and these altars. And you know what? You have so many shrines. You're so religious that you even have an altar, the inscription that says, to an unknown God. Like you just want to make sure you cover all, cover all your bases, okay? And just make sure that you're not missing a God. You know what Paul was doing in the middle of this? I think this is a great principle for us today. He was finding common ground with them. So instead of beating them over the head or, or taking um, a bat and, and beating down their, their idols and saying, God says you shouldn't do that. Instead, what does he do? He says, man, you're pretty religious. He even compliments them. He says, you know what, I'm too. I'm just like you. He finds common ground. What a great principle for sharing our faith, for, for living the Christian life in an unchristian world. He finds common ground. And then he goes on and says, this God, this God whom you, whom you worship without even knowing him, he is the one I'm telling, I want to tell you about. I want to talk to you about the God that, that has his name on this shrine right here, right here. He says this, he himself, he gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So Paul says, let me tell you a little bit about this God. And what he does is another great principle. He shares a loving God. Instead of beating them over the head, he says, you know what? I'm just like you. But let me tell you about a God that loves you. Let me tell you about a God who adores you and wants to have a relationship with you. And then later on in this, this passage, in the story, he begins to, to share a little bit deeper the, the key to all of this. He says, for he, God, is, he, set a, he set a day for judging the world with justice by the, by the man he has appointed. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And so Paul, in the middle of this, he doesn't say, hey, you're doing this wrong and you need Jesus. Instead, he says, hey, I'm just like you. You know what? There's a God that loves you. He loves you so much, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on the cross to save you from your sins, and he rose from the grave. Let me tell you about Jesus. And that's a great principle for us today. We need to introduce people to the Jesus of the Bible, don't we? We introduce people to the Jesus of the Bible. Don't tell them what's, what they're doing wrong. Introduce them to Jesus. This should be our example. This should be our role model for how we witness. But instead of introducing people to Jesus, that's not our goal. A lot of times our goal is to fix people. We try to fix people. A lot of times it's family members, isn't it? You have a family member that's gone astray, and you're so frustrated because they've been in church. They went to 18 VBSs, Right? You're like, they know the truth. They know, but they don't live that way. And I just need to beat it into them. I need to guilt them into it. They're not going to do it. You know what they need? They need the real Jesus. They need his love flowing through you into their life. And you loving them back. Not condemning them, not judging them, to love them back. So we're going to kind of recap what Paul is teaching here. Here's some things that we should do. We should stop judging people. We should start listening to them. Shut our mouths a little bit. 
Just listen to them. Listen to their story. Ask them. Try to get to know them. We should stop judging them. Start listening to them. We should stop judging them and start understanding them. Where do they come from? Like, people want to be heard. We just want to judge them and tell them what they're doing wrong. Hoping that fixes them. We should get to know them. Instead of judging them, we should start a friendship. True, a true friendship. Instead of judging them, maybe we should start inviting them to a new life, a new way of doing things, to fullness and joy that they've never experienced before. An alternative way of saying all this is that we should say this, I've been where you are. You know what? I'm still the same. I'm messed up just like you. I've got sin. I've got things. I've got issues. My life is not perfect. I'm messed up just like you are. We, we are. we are just the same. But let me tell you about a God who loves you. Let me tell you about a Jesus who died for you. Instead of judging them and telling them what they've done wrong, instead of judging them and saying, you know what? God says you shouldn't do that. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's something else that we should do. Maybe we need to pray for them. Instead of judging them, maybe we should pray for them daily, consistently. Instead of judging them, maybe we should find some common ground. Maybe we should tell them about a good and and loving God who loves them. Maybe you tell them about a a Jesus who died for them. That's, That's different, isn't it? The world is ready to have those conversations. We're just having the wrong conversations. Got to come to a point where if we want to reach our community, we got to start talking different. Instead of saying things like, God says you shouldn't do that, the Bible says that's wrong, maybe you need to start inviting them to church, telling them about Jesus and loving on them. And if that happens, this is crazy. If that happens, you know what happens? This place changes. This place changes. And out there will change for God's glory. We will be a light like God has called us to be a light. Let's do that as a church, individually as a family, individually as yourself. Let's be the light of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the Jesus of the Bible, who didn't condemn people, but loved people, who met their needs, who wasn't afraid to sit down with sinners. (laughs) Why are we so afraid to do that, God? Why are we so afraid to be like Jesus? I get it, God. There's a lot of us that have a lot of hurt and struggle over that. We have family members that have gone astray. We have friends that have gone astray. We look at a world and we feel like we're losing our culture. We're frustrated and we struggle and we wish people would just do the right thing and and have the same values that we have. But, But just like the cultures of the Bible, there's so many people that have no idea about Jesus. They don't know you. They don't know your word. So God, help us to find a better way to communicate with them. That we wouldn't be a barrier to the gospel, but we we would be people who introduce people to the gospel. Find common ground, who tell them about a great God that loves them and points them to Jesus who can be their savior if they would just trust in him. Help us to be different, God, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.